All right. So um, welcome to, to the podcast, man. Glad to be here, man. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I first invited you on the podcast, you were thinking about doing one before our retreat that we're doing together and then maybe one after, which would be a cool idea just to talk about maybe we can get it. I mean, this conversation could go to many different areas, but um, I'm excited to hear, you know, your intentions and, uh, you know, before we dive into the retreat to uh, participate in a few ayahuasca ceremonies. Yeah. And the sweat lodge and then just being surrounded by a f just a, over a dozen, maybe two dozen strong men, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, look forward to that here in Austin. And um, But at, at the same time, uh, I want to get to know you better, as I usually do when I have uh, podcast guests on. It's It's nice to have intentional time to like step in the studio and just get to know someone's background, which <clears throat> you relate to me a few things, but it's better to really just hear it from, uh, you know, through, through conversation. So, uh, I know you, you moved to Austin like a year ago. Was it a year ago? Yeah. About a year and a half now. I moved to Austin last April. Last April. I got my van and drove yeah. from Florida to Austin. Oh yeah. And were you in New York as well? Yeah. I've been bouncing around quite a bit the past few years, so it's hard to kind of, uh, say simply, but New York, California, Georgia, Florida, now Austin. Oh wow. Yeah. You originally from? Born and raised uh, a little south of Savannah, Georgia, mm. town called Brunswick, Georgia, mm -hmm. right there on the ocean. It's right in between, uh, Brunswick and Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. And or a, right in between Savannah, Georgia, and Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. And what school did you go to? Went to a private school uh, in the area. Okay. Yeah. Well, for college. Oh, for uh, Florida State, FSU. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was looking at your LinkedIn, and, and um, it looked like right out of college you joined a nice, was it a financial firm or was it? Yeah, so I graduated fall 2019, and then obviously right after that was COVID. Mm -hmm. So I was actually home for a, a while. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I got a job at a company called Wheels Up in New York City. Mm -hmm. Flew up to Manhattan, uh, stayed there for seven months. Uh, loved New York. New York is there's is amazing, like especially mm -hmm. for the curious-minded, all yeah. the people, all the art, I mean, and just the the culture and, so, and they're really just the energy. Like you walk around, around the city and it's just always something going on. It's always excitement. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a really good time. Um, but I didn't want to stay with that job and I didn't really want to stay in the city. So wheels up was my first job after college. Uh, what, but the financial job you're talking about was investment banking. So okay, I okay. interned, yeah, I interned before I graduated at an investment bank in Manhattan as well. Mm. So it's been around a year collectively. In New York City. What made you want to pursue that, like that industry, that field? Uh, I got a degree in finance. Uh, you know, I think when I was growing up, especially, you know, kind of coming from a, a family that had some money, you know, money was always kind of the, the driver, motivator. And mm -hmm. so you, you major in finance, you want to learn how money works. And then when you have a degree in finance, you 
pretty much have to go the banking route. Uh, or you could do uh, the accounting route if you want to, but then you have to be a CPA. So it's a natural, uh, you know, extension of what I had studied in college. Mm-hmm. And so once I did investment banking, which is considered kind of like everyone's goal in the finance route, it's kind of, you know, um, seen as the most prestigious mm-hmm. and man, I just didn't like it at all. It <laughs> was, it, it really, I would say it sucked because you study a degree for four years, you get the internship everyone talks about and you're just kind of like, uh, I don't want to do this <laughs> at all. I, I don't like the job. I don't like the people. I don't like the greed. I don't like any of this. Uh, and then like I'm graduating four months later you know, can't go back, you know, get yeah. more education. I mean, you can, but then it's just, I was ready to move on. Uh, so yeah, that's just kind of a little bit about that story. Uh, that was one reason why I changed to wheels up and, and now I work in a more sales job. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I realized very quickly that I was not going to do anything with my finance uh, mm-hmm. degree. Yeah. Uh, I graduated. So I'm like five years older than you, which I, for when, when I, first met you and even when I'm uh you know our friendship continues I yeah, always man, think it's been a month and a half couple months yeah yeah I uh I always think you're like the same age as me but you're actually like five five or you're yeah. 25 right now just turned 26 26 yeah. okay so almost like four four years um I graduated in 2015 with a degree in hospitality and tourism management and did restaurants for four almost five years and uh I liked it, but it kind of, I think that if I was maybe in a healthier state, uh, maybe more mature, I would have enjoyed it more, but yeah, I was, I, I think, uh, I wasn't in like, like a really bad condition, but it was just, I needed to, um, permeate or kind of replenish different aspects of my holistic health realm Mm -hmm. you know um and my relationship to alcohol and food and uh you know just all these different relationships with not even just friendships but yeah the the relationship you have with what you consume as well um but yeah after that COVID hit and I lost my job where I was at in Boston and I don't want to go back to restaurants and then I went into finance my dad my so my my parents are financial advisors and I got my licenses. I got a job. I worked for like, I studied for eight or nine months and got a job and my parents were like super pumped. And then like four months into the job, I was like, I want to get into Bitcoin. And so I like pieced out like nine months in and moved to Austin. And they were just so, I I wouldn't say my parents were super flabbergasted, but I, I could, I think some people that I worked with were surprised because I was, 27 and I think at 27 got this job in finance by just sheer working hard getting my licenses and then my my father was able to make he has a network that he's able to help which I'm grateful for because otherwise I don't think I would have gotten the opportunity anyways I can relate to to what you just said how you you do four years of something that you think you might do for the rest of your life and then you find out the true nature of that job and you're like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. And for restaurants, yeah, there's no, um, there's no going back for me and there's no going back for finance, uh, traditional finance specifically. Um, TradFi. TradFi. As they say in the crypto world. 
<laughs> but I think uh, the the unique aspect of today, um, whether you're a podcaster or an entrepreneur online, you can make these pivots uh, in a more accessible and easier way in comparison to maybe what our parents were able to, or what our parents had to deal with was, it was maybe looked looked down upon if you pivoted too much from career to career to career. It looked mm-hmm. like it was maybe unstable, but also the benefits of networking in your company and whatnot. And um, it's kind of like this default path. Paul um, Millard, he's a member of Squatch and he's uh, he's written a book called uh, The Pathless Path and talks about yeah. a really interesting aspect of his parents and how you know, our parent, like our, yeah, our, our parents' generation dealt with a different environment and different place. And so, but now, yeah, we, it's, uh, I'm grateful for the flexibility and the opportunity. There's so much that you can do. Um, and so, uh, it's interesting. So, yeah, if I think about mine, you know, I was trying to explain this to someone yesterday. And I think explaining the last two or three years of my life is really difficult. But in those three years, I've, I've worked commercial construction for a private aviation company, sales for a cybersecurity company. <laughs> and then now I'm, you know, doing a little bit more on the health and wellness yeah. side. And this is just all in the last three years. So the pathless path and, and to your point, kind of how awesome it is that we live in this day and age where we can do so much in three or four years. Whereas, you know, previously, you know, in the, in the mid late 1900s, you know, there was one job you kind of had to stick to right. to five or so, five and then usually decades, but usually at least four to five years because yeah. it was either a red flag or they just didn't quite have the mobility that we do now. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's dive into, we could dive into what you're doing tomorrow for your, your class that you're going to the breathwork yeah. class, or we could dive into your ebook, wherever you want to begin. But, um, would love to hear about this transitioning of, uh, health, uh, fr- from, you know, cybersecurity finance. And now you're, you're, se- you seem to be on the cusp of, it seems based off of my observations. Yeah, you know, absolutely. On the cusp of, uh, doing different things. Yeah, no, it's exciting. Um, we can, you can start with somatic breath work because I know you've done that a couple of times as well, right? Twice, yeah. Yeah, and I know you've talked about it some on your podcast as well. Um, but somatic breath work is, you know, it's interesting in a lot of ways. You know, what is happening in those, you know, ceremonies, those one hours uh, is, is really profound. Uh, and so you can't really explain it necessarily just from a biochemical standpoint, if you want to talk about the oxygen carbon dioxide ratios and, and, and stuff that's kind of going on physiologically, because it almost always ends up kind of being a spiritual experience as well. Um, and obviously we're not good at right now in the Western sciences and stuff, really explaining what's really happening. And so the somatic breathwork has gotten really big, obviously here in Austin, the past couple of years, somatic breathwork is actually founded by uh, Fish Fisher and, you know, Steve Jaggers, I believe his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been helping one, you know, they were instrumental in my healing journey really starting last year. Uh, and I got into it actually because of yoga. So, you know, I wrote the ebook on yoga and one of the limbs of yoga is pranayama, Mm. right? So pranayama means manipulation of life force, uh, prana meaning the smallest unit of energy and then yama meaning to do, to, to manipulate. Yeah. And so as I was writing that book on yoga, 
you know, Breath by James Nestor was a resource, right? Have, have you read that? No, but I have it. Okay, yeah, everyone, I mean, a massive, massively successful book that came out a couple of years ago, and it was, you know, The New Science of a Lost Art. Talk about Wim Hof, talking about slow breathing, talking mm. about what the yogis were doing, and then he talked about holotropic as well, which is kind of somatic, which is the, the fast mm. and intense breathing, and people were just having, prof like, whoa, what was happening with this? <laughs> uh, and actually, you know, the holotropic now somatic came about because of, uh, you know, what was happening in the 50s and 60s with psychedelics, right? And so um, when LSD became illegal, uh, holotropic, one of the guys who, who the founder of holotropic, he, they were trying to find some sort of similar, similar modality as a psychedelic. And it was actually holotropic was the breathing was the closest thing that he could find, you know, for a similar healing experience. Um, and somatic is a little bit different than that. Uh, so that's why I got into breath work because I just want to learn more about pranayama, uh, you know, how breath affects everything we do. Uh, and so I went to a, a somatic breath work class here in Austin in November, went a couple of times and I did a few men's retreats the past, uh, one in December and one in March and they both had it there as well. Was, uh, so the men retreats, was that in Austin or is that somewhere else? Uh, one was in Austin, one was in San Diego. Okay. Uh, and they both had, you know, somatic style breathing. There's different names and stuff, but I would, I would kind of put them all under the same bucket. Um, and you know, just the past month, you know, I've started helping facilitate it here in Austin at a studio called Flow Yoga. Uh, and around 35, 40 people show up every week and, or every other week. And the experiences, the takeaways, man, I mean, it is literally insane. It is beautiful. It is something that, you know, I, I would say it's a movement and something that our, our, our society really needs right now, because for me, why I love it is one, it's really impactful and two, anyone can do it. Right. I just need you to lay there and I need you to breathe <laughs> and I need you to do it intentionally, you know, and there needs to be some surrender. There needs to be a safe space. There needs to be some facilitation there. Right. But when you talk about plant medicines or psychedelics, Right. There's an aversion to this sometimes, which is, I think, respectful and totally fine. Right. It's not for everyone. Yeah. You know, somatic breath work, I would say it's, it is, you know, there, there's some contraindications if you're pregnant or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in my mind, anyone can go there and breathe and there's not quite as much of friction. Mm -hmm. But some of the, uh, you know, some of the, takeaways, you know, like when you have a young man who, who is our age, I don't know how old he is, but definitely 25 to 30, you know, say that he was thinking about taking his life two weeks prior, does a somatic breath work. He says, I can feel my heart because I can feel my heart and I'm happy for who I am, you know? And I, I told that to my friends and they're like, what? Because then these people who haven't done it, I know you've had some profound experiences. And then um, you know, I was doing a one-on-one -on -one session this week. I had a friend ask me, you know, just, I was making posts about it and someone I knew at FSU had reached out to me about it. He was like, Hey man, I really, really want to try this with you. And so I, I did a, you know, Zoom session with him this week and I could tell that first round he was very anxious, you know? I mean, I know he had, he'd taken some anxiety medications and, and stuff like that in the past. Uh, and at the end of it, you know, we were reflecting on what happened, talking about it. Mm. And he said in that first round, he was telling me about the anxiety. I didn't ask him about it. You know, he, he, he just kind of said it. Mm -hmm. He was like, and then I realized I'm always this way. 
you know? And so what was interesting this is what the breath work does. He's always, wait, hold on. He's He's always this anxious. Okay. So he thought he was anxious or because he was uncomfortable with the breath work and stuff, right? So he had anxiety and I get it. There could be a little uncomfortable. And then it was somehow because what breath work kind of allows you to do it. He separated and saw this isn't because of this breath work. He was, I've been like this all day today. (laughs) (laughs) And so the fact that, you know, when you're able to really separate and look at like your psyche or how you actually present yourself in the world Mm -hmm. is really, really impactful. Um, And I think even just something like that, you just realize like, well, I'm I'm actually, you know, I was always as anxious today. And um, because now you're separated from the anxiety, you aren't, you are not anxious. You can see that um, anxiety is just an emotion or a feeling. You're able to separate yourself from that emotion or feeling. Then you can work with it. Mm. As long as it's you, can't work. You can't work with you. You know, as actually like if you actually completely identify with it. That's what I mean by that. If you completely identify yeah. with the yeah, anxiety, yeah. then then there's just no way to 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 really manipulate or see it or anything like that. But in that moment, in the breath work, he was able to separate and look at his anxiety. Mm. I mean, he felt he had more control over it then mm. because, you know, he, he could see that it was separate and that it ebbed and flowed and that it was something that he could work with. Um, and those are just two quick examples. I could go on and on, but well, that's a little a, bit somatic. Yeah, there's a, my, like a, a, a new friend and acquaintance of mine, I hear him talk about, um, you know, moments of, anxiety, moments of depression, and the I am anxiety, like I am anxious, I am de- depressed. Um, I hear that come out of his mouth. And I'm, I think I said the other day when I was talking to him that for, for, for my experience, from my experience over the course of the past couple of years, I used to say that as well. I used to say I'm anxious or I'm depressed or I've I've had anxiety. Mm-hmm. I've had depression. I'm at a point in my life where I never say that anymore. Nice. How how do you describe it? Uh, if you feel like if you feel the like if you feel the if you well, feel anxiety, right? And let me be clear. Like it's not to say that I don't I don't feel fear. I don't yeah. feel sadness. <laughs> it's like I'm a human being, but it's I don't identify with it. Yeah. And that's kind of that's happened naturally it's it's been it's taken a lot of work to do that Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because i was reflecting on that recently and now in this moment trying to understand like when did that really just totally just kind of diminish and i would say maybe even before austin eh, i'd say austin has really relinquished that identification, that psychological process of I am anxious, I am depressed. And it's taken a lot of different practices, modalities, discipline, whether it's strength training, whether it's ice. I think the ice really fucking helps. Yeah. We just did a I'm still two, shaking two from two rounds. It. Yeah. <laughs> the ice the ice plunge for two to three minutes. When I first did it with Jay and Chris, who you met uh, in the gym recently. Mm-hmm. My first experience here in Austin, my first friends were Chris and my buddy Nate and, and Jay. And we would go to the gym every single day. And I was just so blessed to 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 work out with them every day. Yeah. They were like accountability partners. Now I can just go to the gym and I'll run into them maybe. 
but I'm going on my own. But back in the beginning of my uh, Austin journey, which was about two years ago, almost two years ago, um, yeah, we were working out all the time and then we were doing sauna and then we would do ice together. And the few, so the, the first dozen times that I would do ice, I would fully immerse everything to my neck. I wouldn't last as long. I'd probably last for 30 seconds, but every single time, uh, I would be able to, uh, experience how chaotic my mind was going. Right. And the first couple of times, uh, brought back feelings. So physiological pins and needles in my feet and my hands, the loss of feeling in them, which resembled another occurrence in my life that had nothing to do with ice plunge, but it was an anxiety attack. Yeah. And it was like, I wasn't checking in with myself mm -hmm. for so long. And I was also drinking a decent amount. So usually those anxiety attacks would, it, it only happened like two or three times in my entire life. But they would all like the out of those two to three times, they would happen the day after drinking. Got so it was like hungover and yeah. your body is just Absolutely. not like filled with the correct macro nutrients and vitamins and minerals and whatnot. But then also, yeah, you're just your brain is just getting a beat a beating. And so it was interesting because the first few ice plunges, those feelings would come back, the psychological process would panic. And then so I would just keep doing it. And then that panic would go away like I would still be very uncomfortable physiologically physically going in and then the more you do it if you do it two to three times a week it gets easier yeah like even today was the first time I've done it this week and maybe in the past almost two weeks and it was it still wasn't that difficult for me um it's uncomfortable but uh at this point the ice plunge and sauna contrast therapy has really helped you be in tune with your body. I think this is me just kind of regurgitating what I what I believe I've embodied to stop identifying with with those with anxiety, with depression. It's it's like I think before I would, you know, you, you're we live in these in this comfort society. Mm -hmm. So physiologically we're not built, you know, from from thousands of years ago the way that we're biochemically made up and the the threats that we faced thousands of yeah, years ago. Yeah, even just the temperature, like you said, like we are always in a acclimated room right, by 72 right. to 74 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> so when you immerse yourself into these hot, like difficult things, uh, at least for me, sauna and ice really <clears throat> helped with just being more uh, aware of the physiological feelings that I, I would get from both those contrasting temperatures and then also strength training has really helped me um get to understand my body more mm -hmm. and then yoga helps you with that as well so i think that if i were to look at myself when i was 23 22 years old i wasn't strength training i wasn't doing any of these contrast therapy i was drinking i was overeating like out from the outside i looked i've always looked kind of skinny but from the, like, it's the internal state of your organs, your liver and all this other yeah. stuff like that probably was not okay. And so, um, I wasn't taking care of, um, yeah, my body and, and other realms. Um, I think that's a lot of, you know, the, uh, the early 20 year olds in our society, just that kind of going out mm -hmm. and drinking and socializing. And it's funny cause that same guy who I had that breath work session with this week, he asked me, he was like, Hey man, how did you make the transition? I was like, 
what are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, he meant from drinking to not drinking because, you know, I, I think I mm. told him I, I drink eight to 10 times in the past eight months. Okay. Um, you know, I have nothing, I've, I've never been an alcoholic and I, I think I've always had a somewhat healthy relationship with alcohol. Mm. But I think to your point of, of kind of what you're doing with the, the sonic cold and strength, as opposed to when you were drinking is, is when you actually really fully step into kind of feeling good all the time, like really taking care of your body. You don't want to drink anymore right. because you you, feel, you yeah. realize that, man, I feel like shit all the next day. Yeah. It's like, I, I wouldn't trade that for any, I don't want to feel bad on any day, yeah. you know? That, um, that's, that's exactly it too, because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm almost six months with not a drop of alcohol and it hasn't been like this difficult psychological aversion to it. Like, yeah. you're, oh, I can't drink, I can't drink. It's like my lifestyle has been built so that it never even comes up. Like I don't go out and drink at bars. Yeah, and I've been... not because you think it's bad or no, not because no, no, like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's because you you have like been shown a different possibility or way of life where you're like, yeah, I don't want to trade yeah. how I feel now. I'm not, I'm yeah. not harshly criticizing people that go out. Oh, to drink. I, I know you're not. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of yeah. reinforcing that point because I think it's a beautiful point. Yeah, you know, I, and that's one reason why I love yoga so much is I think there's a story of Yogananda who was kind of like the famous yogi. He brought brought a lot of it to the U.S. and I think this guy was like, he was enjoying yoga, but then he was, I think he still, you know, enjoyed drinking and had some other vices and mm. was just like, kind of like doing the typical kind of Western Christian repenting to <laughs> the Yogananda and was like, yeah, hey, look, I'm not, I'm not perfect though. I like doing some of this, but I'm still going to drink my whiskey, you know, all the yeah. weekend. And Yogananda was like, that's totally fine. Uh, I'm just like, you know, if you keep coming back and doing this, you're just not going to want to do that anymore after a while. Yeah. Right. And once you start taking care of your body, you know, once you really start doing the sauna, the cold, you know, have great community, have great friends. Uh, you just don't need it. Yeah, it, it just it naturally does. drops off. And I think that's what it was. It's, as long as you kind of like try to push it away, you know, and 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 not it not build yourself to a point where it naturally just doesn't resonate with mm. you anymore. You know, I didn't try to push drinking. I, I, I think I kept trying to because I just wanted to socialize and was like, didn't want to change and all that. But at some point, you know, you raise your own, you know, who you are, your vibration. And then, you know, the drinking and stuff naturally goes away. So, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a great way to explain it. Cause I've been trying to explain it to other people. Like, you know, uh, I was at a, a party recently and, um, for July 4th and I didn't drink and I didn't really feel the urge at all. And other people were, and, but you can just tell that some, some people think that it's like a social, uh, you know, um, down or if you if you're not participating in drinking it's like no i can i can be fully present and have laughs and yeah i can dance conversation (laughs) like i don't need to and now it's so before when i would drink um it was like what made the the experience of being at a party or something like Mm -hmm. that's what it made it better and now it's like i don't even know if i like it as much Mm -hmm. uh in regards to the clarification of my mind and the way that I'm speaking and the way that I'm like, you know, it's obviously alcohol kind of, uh, diminishes your capacity to, uh, you know, think and speak. I mean, actually it depends, I guess, but, um, on the person. Cause I, there's been times where if in the past, if I was really anxious and then I drank, I'd be more loose. And then I actually would be, you know, a better speaker. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which like that's that that means that your relationship with alcohol is probably like you gotta 
might, it might not be healthy. <laughs> if you need alcohol to speak better or anything, to be more comfortable with something. Yeah. I, I think, think people naturally open up with it though, right? After a, a few yeah. drinks, you know, yeah. people will, the conversations will start flowing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so you did relay and share one testimonial or experience from being practitioner. I don't know if that's the correct word. Yeah, I would say, you know, facilitator, yeah. So there's like a leader who helps with the vocal cues and really walks people through the breath work. Um, No different than like yoga, your yoga instructor is kind of coaching you through the movements just so you can kind of flow. Yeah. Um, You don't have to think about moving as much. You don't have to think about the breathing, the the breath holds, and and when to start and when to stop, he'll do all that. Um, You know, and then there's actual facilitators because there's 40 people who help people you know, that start having kind of emotional responses. This mm. could be anything from, from love to happiness, uh, which you don't usually have to do anything for that. You just <laughs> let, let them be in love, you know, uh, which is it's always great to be around. It's just, it's really, really beautiful. Uh, and then, you know, obviously you have some sadness or you have some anger, you know. Um, and then for that, you know, you you kind of help people with, with either the anger or and, and help kind of, be with people during the sadness. Most times during sadness, you just, they just want a hand to hold, mm. right? Someone to witness them uh, compassionately and not judging them, right? We're so used to judging emotions as this emotion is good, this emotion is bad. And that's what causes the repression in our society is because, you know, for example, anger is one that is seen as bad. Um, and so we repress a lot of anger, right? And, uh, the thing about that is, is, is as a lot of studies have shown, you know, the body keeps a score that emotion is in your body and you need to, you need to let yourself be angry in a safe space. Obviously, you know, people always think, oh, if I'm angry, I'm going to be violent. You know, that's usually not the case. Um, and same with sadness, right? A lot of people don't give themselves permission to be sad. I know that was a big thing for me. Um, because I know we live in America. We have so many privileges here that I was always actually guilty of being sad. Mm. Because I was, I thought it was, it was somewhat like what a privileged way uh, for me to, to think that I'm sad when I have all these great things around me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this, you know, college education. I got these, I have a good job, um, you know, and, and, and just other things that I was actually guilty of being sad. So I would mm-hmm. never let myself be sad. Yeah. Um, and then that ended up, you know, just kind of creating a negative feedback loop, Uh so yeah, so the facilitations are important and it definitely helps. You know, I, I think the SMAC, they say it helps around 10 to 15%. Um, and so it is a great way to put it. 10 to 15% of the... Of kind of like just kind of getting them to somewhere, right? Okay. So like saying like if someone's like a little bit sad, if you go over, like you can kind of see, you know, you can kind of see their maybe they're kind of chuckling up with some tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you go over there and really hold their hand and give them permission to be sad... Yeah. Too. I mean, it could yeah. literally, it could oh, yeah. literally just all kind of flow there. So that's where the facilitation is really important because a lot of times like, they could be fighting it, right? Because like I said, like I said, we judge or we fight the emotion. The conscious mind starts getting in there and, you know, doesn't quite want to be sad, doesn't know why it's sad. Um, and so when you go over and same with, same with anger and stuff as well, um, you know, I guess I'll say this one. This is one's like, this one's just a really, really crazy one. It's awesome. But there's this woman there who, who clearly has some sort of uh, sexual trauma. And so she was having this anger, her, her, her fist clenched up. Um, and so when I saw her fist clench up, I, I grabbed her fist and kind of, you want to kind of create that push back. Cause that's what ang- like anger is 
you know, you really want to push something away, mm-hmm. but you also kind of want to, you know, let anger do what anger needs to do, whatever yeah. it does. And so I, I just, you know, intuitively went pushing her hand and then she just started getting madder and madder and madder. <laughs> and she just goes, fuck you. And just, whew. and it was just a beautiful release, uh, actually. Uh, and she wasn't, her eyes are closed. She wasn't saying it to me. But what she was saying was, is this, uh, and she, she was saying no a couple of times prior to that. No, no, you know, with her eyes closed mm-hmm. and then pushing me away, fuck you. And, and I guess she had some sort of, and I talked with her afterwards. She gave me a big hug afterwards. She was like, whoever that was, thank you so much. Uh, and, you know, I guess she had some sort of experience where she didn't, which is what anger does, right? So anger is actually you enforcing boundaries. So she had this boundary uh, or she didn't respect that boundary or, or maybe she didn't have the opportunity to. I don't know. I don't know the, the, the extent of what this sort of, you know, sexual trauma or sexual situation was. Um, but anger is actually there for, to enforce boundaries. It was a really healthy, good emotion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's why in that instance she had anger because it was when a boundary wasn't upheld. Mm. And so that's why it comes out via anger. Um, and then, you know, once you finally had that anger uh, experience and you let, you let the emotion do what it's designed to do, then, you know, that's what we call healing because yeah. then now she can respect her boundaries, right? And she could, she could know when she did not respect her boundaries and then reinforce that boundary after that. Whereas if you don't experience those emotions and, and let them uh, do what they need to do, because they're, they're teachers. I mean, it's, it's the way the body is telling us about our environment, mm. about what's going on. Like if I'm angry around you for whatever reason, I've never been, you know, my body is trying to tell me that, you know, it's not comfortable with you or, you know, you're not respecting my boundaries or this. And it could be an internal reflection of, well, it's not always just a projection. Well, I could be projecting it onto you just as much, but there's some sort of information that the body is trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just don't allow it. Right. Yeah. Because like I said, we yeah. judge it good or bad. Oh, wow. I should not be angry. Chain's such a nice guy. Why, you know, well, why would I be angry? I'm a bad, I'm a bad guy. I shouldn't be angry. Yeah. You know, or like, oh, that made me really sad, but sadness is bad or sadness is not fun. We live in that comforting fun society. Right. <laughs> um, and I'll just end it on this quote because I, I think it's a beautiful quote and I'm going to carry this with me. I just read it this week, but it was, it was freedom in the body is in fact freedom of emotion. Mm. And you'll see this a lot with the artistically inclined, the artistic geniuses. They let their emotions flow through them effortlessly, right? It's like you see it change. Like, you know, sometimes many, many, uh, many fluctuations over the course of a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's a lot of what their ability and, and what is it, I mean, they're always kind of tapped into their body. I mean, you can tell by an artist just by the way they're moving, even if they're not a dancer, right? They're just some sort of like yeah. flow that they yeah. have. Um, and you know, we just don't allow ourselves, we just don't have healthy relationships with our emotions because, you know, we were never taught, never allowed. We were told to sit down, be quiet, Mm. you know, don't, don't make a noise. Don't make a fuss, right? Emotions are all, are all fuss, you know, Mm -hmm. even like the happy love, it it might be, uh, you know, in, in those environments of schooling and stuff, like if you're overly happy, you still maybe you can't pay attention, right? Because yeah, you're yeah. like, I can't pay attention to you if I'm, my mind's everywhere <laughs> and I'm just ecstatic. So we, 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 we've, been, we've been a tyrant to ourselves in regards to our relationships with emotions. Mm. So, and that to me is what all somatic breath works about, somatic meaning of the body. Um, and it somehow induces a state of, you know, emotional release. Mm. So, 
Yeah, there's a fictional book that I'm reading right now. <clears throat> I'm about like 120 pages in, and uh, I really love it. It's um, it's called The Essential Revolution, and yeah. it's uh, something I res <clears throat> recently recited, uh, and the author reached out, and I'm talking to him right now, but um, which is so fucking cool. Uh, yeah, bro, I'm happy for you. Yeah, That's so, really cool. Pumped. Like, yeah. how you have this podcast, and you have someone that, uh, or a situation where you, you made this post on Instagram and now you might be able to talk yeah, to an author. Potentially, and, potentially, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, uh, two characters were speaking to one another in a jail cell and this character, Dimitri, was speaking to Zach and Zach was speaking, or I'm sorry, Dimitri was trying to relay Zach's story of his father. His father was just really, uh, a highly successful billionaire, but Zach's perception of his father's business and all this other stuff was just really, really negative to a point where he didn't even call him dad anymore. It was like he called him by his first name and mm -hmm. there was just a lot of hate and anger towards his father. And so Dimitri's like going back and forth with him to really recognize like, you know, everybody's perception and stories in their mind is like super sub subjective and, and like starts to show that and this comes back to a sentence that my friend Camille said like I'm like that too and it's such a powerful message uh I I believe it's also a powerful message because you can just say well and in the example of these fictional characters Dimitri goes to Zach and says have you ever had a strong desire for something a strong desire for for anything uh have you ever been greedy in a way um and Zach's like, no, not at all. It's like, so you're telling me you've never wanted to have sex. You've mm -hmm. never wanted to be famous. You never, and he was like, oh shit. And, and like, it just resembled a characteristic of his father. It's like, we all can be like this too. And not to get too in the weeds of this fictional, uh, exclamation, but, or fictional depiction, um, within the book, but at the end of this section or, or this chapter, Dimitri just says like, or Zach says to Dimitri, like, should I, should I cry now? And it was like, you're going to have to, like, you logically have understood this, but now you need to release it emotionally. I think that's what we do a lot. Like logically, conceptually in our minds, we say, I understand this and I feel this way, at least from my perspective, because we've repressed, like we've been programmed, we've repressed these emotions being super happy or super sad. We almost forget how to release them. Yeah. And so like, we're just thinking our way to like trying to therapeutically make ourselves feel better, but you mm -hmm. can't think your way out of, well, maybe some people can eventually, but if you're programmed to not know how to like, what you explain with geniuses or are very artistic people, like they're just like, they're flowing with releasing their emotions in such a such and their a, art is their healing by the way too like their creativity yeah. like they're taking those emotions and creating an image yeah. and so like they just naturally have an outlet for it whereas people who aren't painters or, or yeah. singers you know it's hard for you know for us to to manage those emotions yeah 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 well said and and just that so the sentence that dimitri says to zach in this in this book that i'm reading you know you you've logically understood you've grasped the, the, you know, what, what you need to grasp to understand the relationship with your father, blah, 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 but you haven't released it. Yeah. And yeah, 
somatic breath work. It's literally, it's literally most of us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been magical. And we, we just we grew up in the logical mind, which is great. It's, it's afforded us so many uh, techno technological advances and given us everything. But you know, we really have to integrate that other parts of ourselves. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that's just becoming more and more common. Uh, I think it's especially important uh, for for the engineers that. Uh, just like the tech, uh, rational minded people that you're, you know, that you just mentioned or, or that, uh, state of mind, our ego is a great tool or it's been a great, uh, part of being a human being so that we can provide ourselves with a more, uh, a comfortable life and, and whatnot mm -hmm. opportunities. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I've heard of, a fr I can't remember who it was, a friend of a friend that was conducting or, you know, um, facilitating ayahuasca ceremonies for AI engineers. Mm. And I was, uh, pleasantly, it was, it was like just a, it was a nice feeling that came over me when I heard that, uh, that where, where we have people in the world that can help very rational minded people that are creating these tools to, to maybe, open up their hearts a little bit more. And well, they, yeah, and to be more creative. You know, I think the the people on the frontier of tech, if you say the real the real guys on the edge that are creating, you know, new technology, the AI side, they're usually just as inclined to have psychedelic creative approaches. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily the, the rigorous engineer logical um, type of guy. Mm. So I would even say those people on the edge, anytime you're accessing your creativity, you just can't do it. With a logical mind only. Mm -hmm. The creativity is actually the the exchange between the left and the right. And that's how new ideas are formed. Mm. So logical is just, you know, more step by step, uh, you know, type of analysis and things like that, which is literally what coding is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when you also are when every time you're on new frontiers, you know, you need access to those different parts of your brain, uh, just because the logical brain is 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 limited. Mm. So and yeah, and with the somatic breath work, and one reason why people have these emotional responses is, is usually that the conscious mind or ego just somehow just gets turned off for a little bit. Yeah. Um, whatever's happening in the nervous system, what I like is like the nervous system is the interface between the mind and the body, right? And so this, the breath work does something to the nervous system to where I would almost say your mind and body just become mind-body. And that interface that you have of, of really, uh, you know, really just usually being is just temporarily turned off. And then those emotions and minds and sometimes you have those visions just become one experience. Mm. Uh, so, and, and one of those uh, steps of yoga, and then a lot of people talk about flow states right, uh, right now as well. And flow states, you know, are you temporarily getting out of, of the ego and conscious mind as well. And mm -hmm. some of the... Uh, uh, and I would even hesitate to say that it's not like logical or rational or anything like that because, you know, most of the people, you know, the Tesla, the, uh, the Einsteins, like most of the greats almost always lived in that flow state, right? They would just six, seven hours, you know, just, com just getting into these equations, just doing that. And it's just a complete, I wouldn't even say that it's just their left minds. They are, they are literally uh, creating with their, the information, in their entire body, you know, whatever, you know? Mm. And so you'll, you'll hear if you, if you read what Einstein wrote and Nikolai and all of them, they'll all tell you this, you know, like Einstein would, he would, he would usually try to work. He would hold his keys in his hands 
And then when he would drift off, the keys would, would drop and it would wake him up. And then that's when he would really like to work because he was in between, you know, mm. k- kind of the dream state and the waking state. And there's so much. And he felt like he had more access to obviously the wealth of knowledge that he had in those states. And that's literally what he would do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and with flow and everything like that, it's becoming more popular. But yeah, that was a part of uh, a section in your ebook too. Um, and yeah, I have a, I took that, that a few notes, but before I think we get into the ebook, uh, I mean, you know, we're jumping from place to place. Um, you said that over the course of the past year, you had somewhat of a strong spiritual awakening, if you will. Or, yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a, uh, generic or maybe even a platitude now, right? Everyone <laughs> talks about their spiritual awakening, but yeah, very much so. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I would say that's even kind of one reason why I was jumping around job to job and place to place and um, kind of that pathless path for a while. I think that pathless path is kind of for the seeker. Um, And by seeker, I really just mean someone who's like a little bit more spiritually inclined and and just seems to be searching for something that they can't quite, you know, put into Mm -hmm. really even a concept. It's just more of like this feeling or drive is like, got to be doing something else. I don't know, yeah. you know, yeah. and I haven't found the answer yet. And it's yeah. kind of driving them like a little mad, um, you know, but, you know, first I think I would kind of define spiritual awakening as at, in the most extreme case, which is considered the dark night of the soul is, is the death of the ego or death of the identification of who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. So we all grew up with identification in the in the sense of, you know, I'm Brandon Blake from Brunswick, Georgia, who went to FSU, who has these skills, you know. And so we are pretty much told who we are, you know, the first, probably varies for me, the first 18 years of my life, you know, I just did what society wanted me to do, right? Mm-hmm. Did what my my parents wanted me to do, what, what my friends thought, you know, what was socially acceptable, right? Uh, and so you, you get told what you want to do and then that builds your identity, right? It builds your habits and everything like that. And the beginning of the spiritual awakening is when those things don't really satisfy you anymore. And then you don't really quite know what else there is. You start asking bigger questions like, who am I? Like, why, why am I here? Like, what do I really want to do with this life? And so you kind of, obviously you kind of think about death and you really think about your life as, as something bigger than, than just the role that you have or what, uh, what you were given or, or kind of what that identity is. And so usually part of that identity dies, you know, like for me, I used to go do a lot of sports games, watch a lot of football with friends. And then like that became feeling really empty. Uh, and then you know, I don't even watch football or anything like that anymore. And so you, these things just start changing, but usually the spiritual awakening, they kind of happen on their own in a way. And then it kind of creates confusion, right? Because if you, if this used to really satisfy you, make you happy for a while, and now it doesn't, you don't necessarily know what's next or Mm -hmm. what else there is. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not, you know, it's not like, oh, well, then I can go do this because I like doing this as well. It's like, no, like I am like unsatisfied with life right now. Like this doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I definitely had that uh, last, you know, really last year. It was kind of like, the reason I came to Austin, it was the reason why I was moving around the way I was, which is a, is the common symptom of, of people who are going through it is, uh, you know, 
going to different places, hoping I could find some sort of home or residence there because, you know, I would go somewhere, get a new job. And I was like, this isn't it. And then I would go somewhere, get a new job. And I was like, this isn't it, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so then I, 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 you know, packed up my van and I had, Austin has always, you know, been a, over the past couple of years, it's been, it's been a very prominent city in the health and wellness space. Obviously all the podcasters are here. You know, the tech is moving from California here. You know, you have some big companies like Tesla and Oracle and things like that. Um, and so I had felt like I would really vibe here just really on a whim. I had never been to Austin before I decided to move here, which isn't too, uh, too iconic. A lot of people would just pack up their stuff and come here. <laughs> uh, so I drove with, with a three month lease, you know, thinking that I might have to bounce somewhere else. Cause I didn't know if I could call this home because mm-hmm. I've been, I've been searching for it. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about the spiritual awakening. Uh, I don't know if you have any other follow-up questions on that. I think it's, I think it's going to happen more and more. You know, I think it's a part of this era that we're in and, and humanity is when people are looking for something, you know, better for the world, better for people. You know, people are talking about the, people are somewhere aware of, of what we've done to our planet, you know, the mental health crisis, you know, this kind of, I don't want to say illusion of progress because that can be kind of extreme, but, you know, we've made so many advances technologically but I think a lot of people say we, we haven't necessarily, we've destroyed our planet, our people are sick, you know? So like, we really need to reflect and say, have we made a ton of progress? Yeah, are we more fulfilled? Are we more whole? Yeah, and, and, and the answer is that to know. And then, you know, to me, it's concerning when, you know, a lot of people then now are talking about, well, let's just go, let's just ruin this planet and go to Mars. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, can we take care of this planet first? I'm all for exploration. I mean, I, that's all the spirituality. Let's explore. I mean, psychedelics, let's fucking explore, right? But like, you're just totally going to, oh, this an asteroid is going to hit the earth eventually. And so we need to make another home uh, on another planet anyways. That's kind of like their logic behind it. Like, that is very extreme for what's happening right here. Like, it's in my mind. It can prompt nihilism as well. Yeah, exactly. At least, at least on this planet. I mean, you might just like treat everything around. That's how we you. already, hey, we'll ruin this and just go build something else, right? It's kind of the, the modern, the conquest of what kind of had happened throughout civilization for thousands of years. It's like there was always this prominent sort of conquest or society, whatever that word was, Rome, you know, uh, America's been that to a degree as, as well. Uh, Spain was that. So it was really every other nation. So I try not to say like, oh, America's this way or, or whatever, because it's really just the, the, what humanity has done the past couple thousands of years, uh, was, Hey, let's, you know, trash or ruin this, or we can't sustain ourselves. So let's go find people who can help sustain us and conquer them or something Mm -hmm. like that. And now we're like, even thinking about that on a global planet level, which is like, Hey, this earth is, we're just going to use all this up. So we need another planet and we're going to make it, you know? And, uh, I really think that is, so nearsighted and, and, and really just and the fact that it's commonly accepted and there's hundreds of millions of dollars going into this rather than really fixing our planet here just shows how out of sync we are with ourselves to yeah. think that we could trap you know travel to mars you know even get a lot we couldn't even get most people over there right yeah. i mean we we want to keep expanding but there's so many other things that we need to do on this planet right. with our people the next hundred years yeah yeah, it, it's uh, an example of how out, out of touch I think we are with what we can do, the possibilities that we can do here on Earth and with humanity 
currently we have we have the creativity we have the resources to help build a better um state of humanity yeah. right like i think it's this war and conquest uh mentality i mean i do need to brush up more on my history i've been reading a lot of books i read all the time but i haven't really been brushing up on history as much but i know that war and conquest was just a way of of human life thousands of years ago and i think that has been embedded into our genes in a way or into into our family history and and like we continue to do that in a in a in a society in a stage of humanity that's just not appropriate anymore and i think that radically not maybe maybe radically is not the best word but but reassessing our our uh, approach to how we how we interact with this world so um, yeah and i think it's happening man you know i think i think the internet was a big part of it but you know we clearly are becoming more of a globalistic minded you know, species, yeah, right? It's not so much that there's some, you know, patriotism, there's some nationalism and, you know, that's all fine. Uh, but, you know, we are, you know, with cryptocurrency, right? We're, we're thinking of global currencies. We're thinking globally minded now. We're not so thinking, we're not thinking separation of walls as much. And so I think it's, you know, when, when we talk about progress of humanity, I, I think almost like the progress of our consciousness, right? Not yeah. just progress of our technology and things like that. Um, we're talking about progress of who we are to go from, you know, may, maybe a species that was more war inclined and fighting and separated to moving more towards being more, you know, peaceful, loving, taking care of us, taking care of our planet. I think that is the progression and I, I think that we're on it. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, why we exist is to try to figure out how to get more to that state naturally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but a lot, so my last guest, we were just we were talking about San Francisco and uh, on the topic of tech and, and the transitioning of cities and whatnot. And uh, my last guest, Sasha, was speaking to Balaji. Um, Balaji. Oh, nice. I forgot his how to pronounce his last name. Uh, yeah, I, think, I can't either. Srinivatsan yeah. is an Indian, yeah, Indian last he's name. He's probably one of the smartest people alive. Super yeah. smart. Um, don't always agree with everything that he says, but for the most part, I think he's very creative and he's, he's clearly got a lot of attention. Uh, and... He he created an ebook called the Network State, mm -hmm. and he's a, a very big Bitcoin proponent, and and so uh, I think that's what's happening right now. Uh, and that's what crypto is, you know. Like I I don't know much about crypto from a technology standpoint, but I I hundred hundred percent am behind it from an ethos standpoint, and that's one reason why I think it's going to continue adoption is at you know institutions the relationship between institutions and people or user completely changing yeah. right and which yeah. is what crypto is all about yeah yeah it's an exciting time yeah we're in a really uh, it's definitely a transitioning phase in humanity and and that's where the excitement of of growing using these different tools and these different technological inventions and and then also these, mo these health modalities to like intertwine this this balance this coalescence of of being able to um I don't know, maybe, maybe make the world a more balanced place. Um, and, and yeah, I'm just, I'm curious as to when I said, I think it was yesterday, I, I said, uh, I'm very excited to see where you grow, like how you grow. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And yeah. And, and it's, I, I think this is kind of sad to say, but like when you're young, you have these friends and you love them. Right. Yeah. But at least for me, 
I think those the relationships of those friendships maybe weren't as healthy to the point where you're like, I'm excited to see you grow. It was mm-hmm. more of like a dependency on, because I was like, you're in this programming state within the stage within your life. And I still had friends that we just bonded naturally through humor or whatever it may be. But then you also have friends as, and maybe as I transitioned and got, got older, you weren't always like so happy for, for their accomplishments or for where they're growing because maybe we were just so out of tune with who we were. Yeah. And so now I feel very happy with where I'm at and that, that has helped with like the natural attraction of friends. Mm-hmm. And you just get to a place where it's like, I see Hutch and I see you and I see my buddy Jay and I see all these people. I'm just like, I'm so excited for all of you yeah. and to see what you do. And it's just beautiful. It's like, I can see this movement growing and this is, we can maybe get into the subject. Um, you know, Jay's doing this, Zach Homel's doing this, Julian, the mentor you've been speaking with yeah. is doing this, um, is to create this entrepreneurial route, this path that helps with like the initiation of boyhood to manhood. Yeah. And you brought this up. This is a subject you wanted to discuss. And and I was super happy you brought it up because I haven't really, I don't think I've really discussed it on the podcast, but I did read a book that introduced this and I, it's, I could be mixing up the order of the words, but it was magician, king, lover, uh, king, magician, lover, warrior, lover, warrior, lover, or it might be warrior, yeah, magician, no, lover. It's those four. King, yeah. Yeah. It's those four. <laughs> the order I read, I read it as well. Yeah. And the beginning of that book, I mean, it goes extensively into the shadow archetypes mm-hmm. of men and beginning does ex- explain how in modern times we don't, especially on the West, we don't have any rituals, initiations, mm-hmm. right? I think that the first that come to mind are you go to school, you go to high school, you can go to college. You get these degrees, these credentials. When you're in college, maybe you join a fraternity or a sorority. And those are like initiations and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I don't think they're as, maybe they're they're not as. Um, yeah, and I was in a fraternity, so I can speak to that. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, we can. I think, yeah, there's so many things that came up into my mind when you started <laughs> talking um, about, you know, that the transition from boyhood to manhood because it's something I'm really passionate about one as 26 and someone who just kind of been through this the past couple of years of transitioning from a boy to a man mm-hmm. uh, and knowing that it's a very real process and someone who went to college who got graduation went to a fraternity and never really had that transition because uh, one you know as you talked about in the beginning of the comforting society we live in there's really not that many trials and and tribulations in, in the educational system. It's a lot more coddling and you can have your hard test or something like that, but there's really no, you know, the, 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 the SEALs have that boot camp for a reason. There's really no intense sort of, uh, or something you really have to put your mind, body and soul into to really, uh, you know, transition to what we would consider a man. And I also wanted to make this point is, is, to, is on this, but uh, a little bit separate was, you know, the, the war on, kind of masculinity that had happened in the past decade or so, you know, after reading that book and studying this a little bit more in detail was never really, in my mind, a war on masculinity. It was a war on immature masculinity. 
It was a war on like the power, the greed, the competition, right? Um, that's what it was really a war on. And so I think as, especially a man who went to an, uh, an, uh, a liberal college, you know, as all colleges are, who kind of was like felt guilty about all the stuff happening because I was in college when that was very prominent in the, in the news and media and things like that. Uh, and then I realized through all of this that, you know, it was never really a war on true masculinity. I think true masculinity is more important now than ever. Uh, you know, people that can, that can stand up because there's so much change that needs to happen. Uh, and, and the healthy masculine is going to have to be a part of that. You know, I think a lot of the, the spiritual, you know, people talking about this, this age of feminine, feminine is rising and that's great, but the masculinity has to rise to the same proportion or you have imbalance. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I didn't wanted to make that point, but, uh, you know, as someone who, who played high school football for four years, you know, very competitive, went to playoffs, you know, very often as someone who went to FSU, who was a part of a big fraternity, you know, we had a couple hundred guides. FSU has a huge Greek life, thousands of people. Mm. Um, and then as someone who then I led pledges and stuff like that as well when I was in the fraternity. So I would have 50, 55, you know, guys that were looking to, to become initiated into the brotherhood. Uh, you know, I can say that even with all of that, that, that even I didn't see too, too much transition from boyhood to, to manhood. And, and the book talks about this is that a lot of the fraternity initiations and stuff is more pseudo initiation because it's really just boys trying to coach or mess with other boys, right? <laughs> you're not really trying to make someone better. You're really not trying to, to have them access who they are and really have them try to, try to dive in and achieve something. You know, it's a lot more maybe punishment or jovial or something like mm -hmm. that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not what it was in terms of integrity and values. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I doubt any fraternity is because, you know, you have 21 year old leading a 19 year old, right? I mean, it's just, it's, there's, there's isn't hardly any 21, 22 year olds that's going to be mature enough that, that knows enough to, to do that. Yeah. Um, and that's a pseudo initiation that, that the book talks about. Um, but yeah, no, I think also, you know, having the breathwork session I just had with, with a young man and, and, and seeing the confusion in a lot of people at the graduate college that I had too, because you get your degrees and you just don't know what the hell to do. Mm. Right. Same with like the hospitality restaurants. You kind of do that because you just got a degree in it. Um, but, but people are really getting degrees now from what I can see, unless it's medical school or law school or something very specific like that. It's almost like they didn't know what else to do. And so they went to college to grow up and then college didn't grow them up at all. Uh, they didn't, they didn't change at all, you know? And so there's this kind of like this anger that naturally comes about it too, because people are like, I remember when I was like 19, I was a sophomore in college and a senior in college, he had, he was graduating a couple of weeks and he was a drunk or whatever. And he was kind of joking around, but it was a really profound statement was just like, I'm more dumb now than when I came here. Like he said that and he meant it. I think he meant it, you know? And like, it, it's, it's funny because of the way the education system works and all that, so especially with finance, it's like, you know, you learn something about maybe cash flow analysis your sophomore year or whatever, and, and you take the test and you pass it, then you don't do anything with it the next two years and you just naturally forget. And so you do kind of, you know, graduate with, you know, some more knowledge maybe about Excel and some other things like that, but you don't really feel like you're a better, more well-equipped person. Mm. Uh, obviously, I'm speaking my own experience, but I'm also talking from people I've talked with and seeing the confusion of young men at these retreats and just in general. Uh, so yeah, I'll stop there and we can talk more about boys to men.
Yeah, I can definitely, I can understand what your friend said there. Or, uh, your, yeah, your do you feel that way as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 wild, and especially the money is costing. I mean, I'm so happy for, uh, you know, stuff like YouTube and other courses. And, and I really tell, I would advise most 18, 19-year-olds not to go to college at first. I, I Go back I'm if you want to, way. like maybe 20, 21, because you're not missing out on anything. Like I had to go, I feel like I had to after, you know, after high school. Just have being enrolled in college, you know, at eighteen, and it's uh, still and it's. Still I think finance way. by accident really is something. Yeah, you know, I don't know. If that's how you feel about hospitality, but uh, I, I, so just to go back, uh, it's still happening. I mean, p- kids are still going to straight from high school to college. Obviously, that's like that's like a transitioning. Uh, I have a sister that's doing that very very soon, and part of me has even told my parents. I've said like, you know. They can take a break in between. Yeah. Like they don't have, to, you know, this, this is going to cost tens, 20, 30,000, 40, whatever per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're in a just different time. Yeah. You know, we're in a different time that I don't think the 50,000 to like half a million dollars that you're going to spend on a college degree is going to really be necessary. To ha- to be successful in the next ten years, yeah, I, I truly believe that. Unless you need post grad, like unless like if you're a doctor, yeah. right, or yeah, law, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But even law school, I was I have a a friend who graduated from law school in Tampa, and he was saying, you know, the first year or two, fifty percent of the people don't know why they're there, right? Because yeah. they graduate college and then they're like, oh well, fuck, I guess I'll go to law school because right. they're, and it's really like a confusion thing in my yeah. mind when I see them say it. It's almost like, oh well, I have nothing else to do, and I need to make, I want to make good money. Yeah. So then, therefore, I'm going to go to law school. You know, and we just have like this overwhelming amount of lawyers and doctors in the United States. I feel like. Yeah, I don't. I don't know from a capacity standpoint. Wise, yeah. yeah, or like I feel like with doctors, we could always use more. You know, even Western doctors, we don't hate you. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, um, and and for me, when I was in college, yeah, I was totally confused, but also my. Yeah, I just I wish I had something like we ha- like what we have here in Austin uh, to help with. And I guess we did, and maybe I just didn't capitalize it, uh, capitalize on it as much, but really um, not taking my health seriously because you're so young and you feel like you could live forever. Yeah, well, you know, those colleges and those ecosystems, of, of they're really parting ecosystems. Oh, yeah. Like if you even, it's not just, obviously FSU had a huge Greek life and, and party life and, and all that, but, you know, even small, uh, community college, from what I could tell, in, in, in Georgia, where I'm from, like, they had a huge, you know, party scene. Like, yeah. it, it almost seems like it's this ability to have a lot of fun, which is... It's like outweighing. It's your... great, but if you want to have a lot of fun, take a gap year, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, just don't, you know, yeah. or or balance it or have something. It, it's almost like where you put everything on pause and you have, you know, all this fun and, and you are learning about yourself. You're going to meet people. Um, is that worth 50 grand? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, would, I would even boldly exclaim that is that concept of fun healthy or is it even yeah any no, they, uh, integrity that. behind that yeah like, it's meaningless getting, how about that getting blackout drunk yeah smoking tons of weed cocaine oh great point whatever like that that's not fun i mean maybe physiologically and, 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 and it's cool. meaningless you know i think when we talk about that's a lack of meaning in in what you're doing because uh you know, when when you're in just those states of you're just chasing the next high, yeah, and there is no meaning, right? Right, right. So no, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe I was being a little too no, a little no, too no. shy there. No, um, and so 
We were, we talk, had, we were talking about like your like spiritual kind of awakening, awakening, and yeah, and you. We kind of stopped at uh, you know, your arrival to Austin, right? And you were going from New York. You've gone from all these different places, and then you made it here. And now you've been here longer than the three months. Yeah, I don't plan on don't plan on leaving either. Yeah, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't because I didn't meet you until a year in. So. Yeah, yeah. It it does it does seem that you need to take you need to give it some time. You need to give it like a year to two or two. Yeah. In order to really assemble in in Austin. Yeah, well, it's just the people. Yeah. So I mean, that's one reason I stayed. Even like I guess I wouldn't. I didn't even make any. I would say. Uh, start building a community for myself until the past couple months when I, I met, um, you know, someone who then interviewed, uh, introduced me to Hutch and then I went to his Tuesday talks and I met you and then I've been meeting just people naturally since. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still took me a year to do that, but it's just the, the, the vibe of Austin, the people is what really made me feel at home even when oh, I yeah. didn't have, you know, a, a community or really people to hang out with. Yeah. And that seems to be the case with many other people I've had on the podcast. It's the people or the, the conversation that I have at Squatch. It's, it's the people, um, and, uh, the demographics and different ethoses of Austin. You, you were just mentioning there's yeah, there's tech and there's health mm-hmm. and wellness. There's all this different stuff. So it's, it's, um, it's really cool. But, yeah. And also with like the spiritual awakening too, cause I, I feel very, I feel like at some point in my, in the next couple of years, I'm going to help people through theirs is that, it, you know, it is a very brutal process. Like that, that part of changing your identity, um, you know, there are bouts of depression. There are, there is a lot of confusion because that's just the way the psyche is transforming to something new. Anytime you kind of change part of your identity, and this is a lot of the, the bad experiences psychedelics people are talking about is really when who they thought they are, isn't really who they want to be or like who they are in this world isn't really what their soul wants, mm. right? And then the psychedelic, they see that clearly and then, you know, they don't know what to do, right? And it creates a state of confusion and it creates, um, you know, really a lot of time depression, you know? So Jung would say, or y'all young, young analysts would say, depression yeah. is the way of the soul making its presence known. Mm. And it is shedding parts of you during that process um, so that you can you can be different. You know, I know I, I was a lot different after, you know, I experienced depression because, you know, through that isolation um, and through those feelings and, and whatever that process was, if you want to call it that, um, you know, I was letting go of parts of myself during that. And that's always a sad, it's always a sad process. Maybe not, you know, I wasn't necessarily consciously sad of it, but I think there's some parts of like you, whatever on the, on the deeper psychic sense, you know, you're letting parts of yourself go and that's never, never pleasant. Mm you know, but it's necessary and needed if you mm-hmm. want to transform and evolve or, yeah. or whatever. So I just, I just kind of want to say that too, where, you know, I think this sort of awakening, it's not a, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a happy, <laughs> it's not a happy process. You always look back and you're like, wow, I'm so happy for who I am now. But it, it is a, you know, very chaotic period, I would say. It can be grueling for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that quote. And Young has been coming up in my life more and more. I actually just bought a book last night by Carl Jung. It's called yeah. Synchronicities. 
Okay. And I, I have it. I just, I have it. I don't know. I actually have read much of him. I read a lot of Jungian analysts, you know, yeah, and so yeah. I, I, I have one. Yeah, you gotta read I have, him. I have one and I do have a book from him and I've tried. It's just like anything else, you know, you Amazon a book and then you get 10 books in the, in the first course of a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so I just haven't been able to get to him yet because I've been studying so many other things, but I definitely will. Yeah. So that's a beautiful quote by him is depression is your soul. How to go? Your soul telling you. Yeah, and I'm and I'm paraphrasing it. Yeah. Um, but you know, your soul is, is is making this presence known and kind of unfolding and and almost I would even say. It's doing work on you or for you from your psyche on on a psyche level. So you're shedding parts of your identity, and anytime you mm. shed parts of your identity, it, it's going to be painful, right? So my my coach. Uh, who I did the first men's retreat what this with December very bluntly says psychological death is going to be the same experience as real death because the ego doesn't know the difference because the ego is dying to a degree and that death you feel as if it was real death even though it's not <laughs> wow. so you don't know the difference you know and, and that same thing when, when you're shedding and letting go like parts of you are actually energetically dying mm. And so there is this feeling of death there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've. And then you change and you rebuild that. and you reform. Yeah. yeah so you felt that before oh, in yeah. some way. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, that's been happening. Yeah. In the past couple of years, but even different stages, you know, four to six years ago mm -hmm. out of college. It's not always at one time. Yeah. I would say yeah, mine no. was a couple of years. Um, and there, it was different intensities throughout yeah. the couple of years. Yeah. I mean, from high school, so from like middle school to high school and then high school to college, college to years after, it definitely wasn't as, I think the most brutal one was after like four years in uh, hospitality, but yeah, definitely was a big uh, wake up call and I took the actions to, to, to listen and um, yeah, but uh, ever since then it's been just a little bit easier. Yeah been easier mm -hmm. you get stronger you get stronger peter jordan peterson talks about that and another you know i'm sure psychologist is that you know usually the fear someone has this fear of like elevators and stuff like that he was talking about that example someone which just couldn't even go into elevator they're so terrified how you get them to be able to get on the elevator is you just start having them make steps mm -hmm. towards you know lessening that fear and so for him it would just sit here and can you imagine yourself being in an elevator Let's not even go towards a building with an elevator or anything. Mm -hmm. Let's sit here. Can you imagine yourself being on an elevator? And that might take a session or two. And then like, you know, maybe she can imagine herself, you know, eyes closed, opening an elevator, getting into it. How do you feel in here? This and that. And then let's just go to a building and stand by the elevator. Let's watch a hundred people go up and down. <laughs> okay. Now let's, maybe you open the elevator, then you get in the elevator, then you get out. You don't even yeah, go yeah. anywhere. Right. And, and like, it seems trivial, but that's actually how, a lot of psychologists approach fear. There is no sort of, you can't get rid of the fear by avoiding the fear. Like you have to, you have to make yourself stronger and you have to take yourself step by step into feeling, you know, what that fear is and why it's there mm -hmm. and to overcome it. You know, mm -hmm. and I would say in a, in a, from a spiritual lens, that fear is, is, is a teacher or a lesson, uh, you know, maybe to some other avenue, maybe on anything else, uh, you know, it's trying to teach you to, to be stronger. It's trying to teach you where maybe you're avoiding parts of life or parts of yourself, mm. you know? Um, 
you know, those things are all, you know, very important towards our own growth. So, yeah. Yeah. And you've been investing in, um, a mentor, Julian. Yeah. And I've recently followed him on Instagram. I, I heard his name multiple, like multiple times and did, I didn't know who he was. Like, I didn't know what he looked like and didn't understand, uh, his approach to how he was a mentor. But recently I've been seeing his messages and I can see why Jay speaks so highly of him and you do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how has this mentorship uh, changed you? Yeah, so it's been a couple months. Um, we've been getting deep into really my own healing. I could say that. Yeah. Um, we haven't even got to the point where he's teaching me, you know, too much about energy healing. It, it is by nature, like through my own healing, I am learning a lot, right? That's part of it. That's why mm-hmm. That's why it's there. <laughs> You know, and, and he, he so beautifully said that how you heal yourself usually is how you heal others, right? And that's so true with a lot of people, um, not just from energetic healing and, and a healer, you know, we can talk about all that too, but, but usually people's curse or people's issue they had, them getting through it is always their gift to the world, Right. So people who start charities, you know, I, I was I was looking on online and there was this family who had lost their daughter, you know, from a drunk driver and, and all that. And she had died at 20 years old. And it was a really sad story, um, you know, but from then there, they started raising money for drunk driver awareness and, and, and trying to, you know, actually tackle this problem mm. and, and make sure it didn't happen again. And so there's this very real sense that, that whatever obstacle is in front of us in life, uh, one is it's supposed to teach or show us something. A lot of people don't see that. Or maybe just, you know, this is a sort of overcoming thing that people kind of talk about a lot. Uh, I would say it's best to understand it and, and work with it. Uh, so back with what Julian's doing is, is, is more, you know, I would say deep emotional work. Um, and I'll share this story and I'm, I'm somewhat, not don't want to because I don't want to get quite so esoteric on people, but let's just do it because why the fuck not? It All came right. to mind. <laughs> um, but you know, from from a spiritual sense, you know, when you talk about the energy bodies, there's a few different ones, and so yoga and, and the Eastern medicine, they, they all they all talk about that. There's layers to the body, right? So you had the physical, you have the etheric, you have the emotional, you have the mental, and you have the spiritual, right? So there's all these different layers that then what would comprise of a boss. Um, and to put it simply, cause we were talking so much about somatic breath work. Um, you know, it's clear to, to, to see that there's an emotional, you know, body or residue that's around the body that's affecting you that I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's from a physical level. Right. Because like, if I, you know, piss you off right now and you get really mad, it's something that your mind did, right. Your mind says something to your body and then your body actually had a physio- physiological response, right? Your heart rate changed, your, your, your eyes dilated and got constricted, right? So a lot of stuff happened in the physical level, even though it was really just a mental thing. I, I, I said something that you didn't like and you had a full physiological response. So what's happening there, you know, cause it's, it's coming from the mind. It's not coming from the body. Real quick. Okay. So this actually came to mind before 
we started the conversation. Did I piss you off? <laughs> I'm fucking heated up. <laughs> no, the the, the uh, so one of the books that I, I I recently read, and then also a conversation I had with River. We didn't dive into this, but he even said like the thought process could even be considered um, a physical process. Mm-hmm. That what's happening in your brain, like the electrical patterns of your neurons and whatnot. Um, so I I, I do because this book that I have like over here, it's the chakra book and mythology and yeah. ast- um, astronomy. Uh, he, he does label emotions and thoughts as n- non-physical. And I question that, but anyways, um, but they, they, so they are in your field, like you, right? Cause so your senses, when, when, we, when you're hearing and when you're list, so when you're listening, when you're seeing, uh, you're interpreting these concepts or words that were, um, uh, Mm-hmm. creating so we're using our physical senses to interpret something that we then orchestrate in our brains that ignites neural uh neurons and whatnot mm-hmm. so i almost still think it's a physical and we get so we could get in the weeds of this but it's something that i've been thinking about lately yeah no, and i know and i don't claim to to know because some people um, consider thoughts and emotions as non-physical things and i don't know if i totally agree with that yeah but I think it would take a long part of this conversation. <laughs> so if you want to continue your story. Yeah, no, I would just say, um, so in, in like in, you know, and some people can see it clairvoyant, but, you know, we all have auras around us. So like, even though like there, there's this physical, that's obviously like our, our body and what's inside of our body, but there's also st- substances that's near just around us. And you can feel that when you get close to someone sometimes. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. Um, and so there's this, the, your, your energetic presence, you know, Usually it's around three to four feet from your body. Mm. So in that sense, they're all always around you kind of. And, 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 you know, I'm still learning to the path where I don't know, you know, I, th- I think you're picking up information from that whole field and you're calling that your, your mind or your brain when, when it's not necessarily, cause we all point where's our mind at is right here, you know, but is it right <laughs> I think that's obviously the deeper question is, right. is your mind and thoughts, are they all right here or are they not? Um, you know, where is Shane actually located that the person who says he is Shane, where is he actually at? Right. Is it kind of that observer thing? As you were saying that I was picturing my perspective behind your head, looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, um, and you know, that's not something I thought about. So I, like I said, I don't want to go down it because I, I'm, I don't know if I'm the best person, but to answer that is also like, we always just claim that we're right here in between our heads. Right. And and that's not true. Cause what's, what's great is if, if I ask you, uh, if you, if you usually talk about yourself, where do you point to your heart? Mm. You say, this is me. You, no one says, this is me. They go, this is me. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they always point the center, right. Which is the energetic heart. No one points to, the, I mean, maybe, right? I don't know. But like, if it's usually very clear right there in the center. I don't know why I'm trying to do it for the camera, but <laughs> you know, right there, it's never like, oh, I'm here. I am here. I am here. Whatever. I am here. It'll say like, this is me. Mm-hmm. They point right through the energetic heart. Right. And so mm-hmm. these are the little things. And one reason why I love doing is, is talking about these things in practical ways that we are all doing and maybe unconsciously knowing. Right. And that's why I like that heart example. Because when I read down the book, I was like, whoa, why have I always pointed my right there? You know? It's like, well, that's because that's where your actual heart chakra and your energetic heart are located. Yeah. And so you know that, you know, subconsciously or multidimensionally or however the fuck you want to put it, right? And that's why when you say, who am I or whatever, you're pointing to your heart. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to make that point. But from a more esoteric, where's your mind actually at? I don't know. We can leave that open-ended <laughs> <laughs> for now. That's cool, man. Um, that you have this opportunity with Julian and, and you're going through those, yeah, and even those being able to explain it like I did now, you know, came from, uh, you know, a lot of my sessions with him um, because, you know, a lot of, I would say, energetic healing is really coming from from beliefs, thoughts, emotions of the past uh, that really no longer serve us, or, serve us or that we don't even know is there anymore, mm. right? Beliefs is, is a, you know, I don't know, I'm going to study this too, to, to a deep degree. So again, not something we should go too far down. But a lot of people have beliefs around money, around, um, you know, how they should orchestrate their lives. Like I should, you know, graduate high school, go to college and then get a good job. And this is what this job looks like, you know, um, and it should probably be 100K a year and I'll do those other things, right? Um, and when we have those sort of beliefs, we limit ourselves to to, to really, you know, you know, perhaps our potential, what we're really doing because we have orchestrated a version of reality um, really based on what we knew maybe three years ago and then we haven't changed that at all, right? And, and you can usually see these people pretty evidently once they're 30 or 40, you know? Uh, the craziness in the in the uh, somatic breath work and stuff is, you know, when people say, I just got busy for 20 years and, and then like I woke up and I was like 45. So I was you know, say, that, that was so my scary, biggest fear, uh, you know? And uh, that was always a, a driving fear of mine as well uh, was, was that... Uh, and so when people have beliefs around money, how much they should have or what it really, usually what it looks like to earn money, that's a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the belief thing too. Mm. Um, and a lot of them are unconscious. You know, the, I'm, I'm in another, you know, kind of mentorship group. And one had guy had this childhood memory, his first ever, the first way he ever earned money was for his, from his brother cleaning his truck so he cleaned his brother's truck, made $10 or whatever. Um, and when, cause, and, and by the way, this story was told because someone said, you know, the exercise was, what is your first memory about money or about making money? What was the first ever memory that you have about making money? And this guy said, well, I was cleaning my brother's truck, $10, this and that. Turned out he still worked for his brother and didn't know. Like, and, and like, well, obviously he knew he worked for his brother, but the, the belief there was my brother is my source of money. Mm. Right? Whoa. And he was trying to do something else. You know, I don't know what his, you know, obviously many of us at our age are like, I'm trying to do something else, but I got to do this for money, yeah, right? This yeah. <laughs> right same, now anyway. Same here. But like the unconscious belief there at that time was that like my brother is my source of money or I have to work hard to make money. That's another belief people have because, you know, we have this sort of work hard, grind competition. I'm going to grind, 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 grind until I'm rich, right? Well, that is true. You can grind and make a lot of money. You know, I'm sure you can. Um, but there's also people who end up really very wealthy and they don't do that at all. You know, this that work smarter, not harder type of mindset but you know he was like hey i had to do something physical i gotta be do hard earned gotta make money and then it came from his brother and sure enough he worked fucking construction for his brother and he didn't want to you know mm-hmm. and so when you really see enough of these experiences on those beliefs it's in their that's what I'm saying, they're almost always unconscious beliefs and until you really start doing the work 
on what do I believe about money? What do I believe about my family? What do I believe about my, my, uh, my country? What do I believe about the world? What do I believe about love? Or what do I believe about this? Because we've never consciously thought about that. And so we do have thoughts about that. We just don't know what they are. And they were given to us more than likely based on our circumstance or situation. Uh, you know, that's where the unconscious bad beliefs is usually something bad could happen in, in a certain situation. And then you form a belief on that, what happened. And then you carry that for, mm. for, for, for many years. And so that's uh, what I worked on with, with, uh, with Julian as well was it's a lot of these kind of unconscious beliefs that I had that, that, that harbor that, that really until, until you get someone very skilled with, you know, subconscious work and stuff like that, because you can't see them very easily. Mm. You know, I think psychedelics bring them up with some people as well, but you know, it is, it is, it is tough inner work. Um, so yeah, we can go on, but we can. No. Yeah. Yeah. We got time. We got time. Um, that's something that I'm also trying to do and ayahuasca helped with that, but you can do that on an ongoing basis. It is difficult to do it by yourself. I am journaling more. It takes, it takes a lot of skill. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I uh, recently have made the decision to wake up consistently every single morning, which I was doing previously, but uh, over the course of the past couple months, it's been on and off. Like I just listen to my body. I'm like, I need way more sleep. So yeah. I'll, I'll sleep till 7.38 instead of 5.45. Uh, but this week it was like four out of the five days, it was 5.45 or six o'clock I would wake up at. And then I would wake up, make my bed, move my body a little bit, um, drink water, and then reflect, journal, and then do either meditation or breath work or both. And if you do that every single day, your subconscious beliefs become a little bit more apparent, hmm. I believe. Yeah. And I wasn't doing you that. You get more junk or get more of the day-to-day -day thoughts, you know. Yeah. And kind of think more like the day-to-day, -day, the work, the this yeah. or that. Once you get all that out of the way, you can you can get, really, you get deeper work. Yeah. yeah. So that seems like you're you're shedding a lot of that those thoughts that most people have that are distracting them, right? I think most of us in Western society, myself included, just distracted by thoughts all the time. You Meditation will show you that real quick. You, oh, yeah. you close your eyes and then it's just like holy fuck, I can't even count the 10 breaths. You know, most people yeah. can't, you know, you close, you close your eyes and just concentrate on your breath for 10, 10 breaths. Um, very, very, very few. I haven't seen one person who can do that their first time. Yeah. You know, which is crazy. Honestly, it shows that we are, we are really living in, in a, in a world of our mind where we can't even sit and, and, uh, and count 10 breaths without one, two, three, and then you're to something yeah. else. It's like, whoa, what just yeah. happened? And something that you mentioned in your book, Einstein's aha moment was what, when he was waiting at a train station. Yeah. And there's many times that happens for me yeah. where I'm not trying to think through something. I'm walking through Boston or I'm walking uh, somewhere else or going on a hike or in nature. And there's no intention of trying to accomplish something conceptually. It's, I'm letting. It's always both. Uh, well, usually it can be uh, both. And I kind of interrupt because usually like, like Einstein obviously put a lot of work into solving this right, and then he would take right, big right, breaks right. and then put a lot of work in the but breaks the breaks and a lot of work. The really breaks are important. usually when it happens Yeah, for sure. But it's always, it's always got to be both because your body has to have access to the information. Um, and it'll have access to the information because you studied and you'd be asking this question often. And then mm -hmm. usually when you don't try to get the answer, 
know, paradoxically enough, the answer will come in some I, way I or something. I like, don't understand like, how that like, happens. Like an Einstein case, you know, which is in his book, and I don't know how much, I think it was a, uh, the, the general theory of relativity it happened. Mm. Like that was actually when he had actually, it all made sense to him when he was waiting mm-hmm. at the train station. And, and I think like the clock had hit a certain, it had hit the top of the hour and there was something about the train moving and the clock striking. And it was just like, holy fuck, this is all it, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know much about the, the general theory of relativity and, yeah. and why that, why the clock and the trains informed, but he was just sitting there and then it all made sense to him when those two things happened at the same time. Mm. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, going back to this morning routine and then after the reflection, so, you know, the things I mentioned, breath, you know, uh, waking up, reflection journal, meditation, all that stuff. I'll do like strength training or some kind of, uh, intense workout, whatever. And then sauna or ice. That's a badass morning. So it's just dude. like, you feel your day is just. What, what, like, there's nothing that's going to stop you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a power, yeah. powerful way to start your day. Oh, for sure. And so I'm trying to do it more consistently leading up to our retreat. Yeah. In October, uh, which I'm very excited Two about. Two months and, away, man. And, um, yeah, so we're, we'll be doing three nights of ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think combo at the retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll be doing a uh, three hour sweat lodge or around that time. Yep. With, Good amount of men, 20 to 30 men with. I guess capped to 28. I think like Julian and Jay are going to be leading it. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach will be there. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll be. He's not really, it's not really his retreat. I think it's more like Julian and Jay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited. And um, you had told me. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, you couldn't get it off your mind. Yeah. What what was going on? Um, Cause like, so for, for context too, for the listeners, we met each other at Tuesday talks. Yeah. Which is a which is, small yeah. backyard, little social gathering that our buddy Hutch orchestrates. And I was ex- exclaiming what I was pumped about. And it was about signing up. Well, one, I just did a ayahuasca retreat, but I also signed up for another one with uh, my friend Jay. And then he, we went around and then you, I didn't even know you. I think that was the first time I met you. You're like, yeah, I think, you know, Julian is, um, I think it's. I think it's the same thing. The same I think it's the same thing. retreat, yeah. And he was like, yeah, my, my mentor, Julian. And uh, I was, I went, oh, oh shit. And then everybody started laughing. And yeah, we just, cause like in that moment we realized it was like kind of serendipitous that. Yep. And I wasn't even thinking about it at the time. Yeah, you weren't yeah. committed to going, but now you are, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Um, I think that was an important moment. And to, you know, I wouldn't say that's why I did it, because obviously you want it, your why to be different than that. But I think one reason I ended up saying yes to that is because there was a lot of synchronicity, that book that you're talking about, that was like, kept putting it in front of my face, you know, when I wasn't really asking, like I met you and then, I got led to, Hutch took me to Barton Springs to an ice bath that Jay was leading. And you I didn't no even idea. know who Jay, like had no idea who it was because Hutch just said, uh, oh, me and some guys are going to do this tomorrow. And I said, okay, cool. So I went and it was Jay's thing, you know? Yeah. And then, um, you know, I think it just kept coming up in my mind and, and because of, you know, I, 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 
as any, I think, spiritual person would do. You just try to listen to things like that happening, right? And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like, I'm kind of getting shown that I'm supposed to be on this. Um, and then obviously I prayed on it and thought about these things as well. Uh, and I, you know, in my mind got a very clear yes that it was time for me to do it. And it was something that I always had wanted to do, which is on, fun reflecting on because I was always like watching YouTube videos when I was like 21 of like DMT or other things. I've never done it. And I thought I might do it at some point, but I thought I was also too young. You know, even at 26, I think experience, uh, intense psychedelic experiences, you know, could be considered dangerous. I think that's a also a, it's a dangerous bias to have that you're too young as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like some, there's an argument for you shouldn't be doing any any drugs or any types of psychedelics at a stage in which your brain is still developing. Yeah. Um, and there's arguments towards that. Ancient civilizations initiated their teenage boys or or people. In yeah, the, the Native 20s. Americans, right? Yeah. Peyote. So yeah. peyote uh, was actually the the transition from boy to man for Native Americans is that the boy would mm. go through a peyote ceremony, and after this ceremony, he was he was a man. Yeah, um, and I think I think that was true for 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 girls and with to women as well. Okay. Um, you know, all societies had a transition from from adolescence, childhood to considered adult. And what was so interesting about the purpose of those is they made sure the adolescent or child was done like there was just no way that the the psychology of being a child would, would would be left you know once they were ready to step into a more adult role in the tribe because they just considered it very dangerous mm-hmm. um so but yeah no back to to that ayahuasca um yeah you know I, I just think i just have a very healthy fear of those things and I, I take them very seriously i know a lot of you know uh it, it's a little bit more popular and and you know there's a lot of people more kind of have no problem saying yes to those things and seeing what happens. You know, for me, it's, you know, I've, I've done enough spiritual work to know that it is work, you know, and it's not always fun. Uh, most of the time I wouldn't say it's fun while you're doing it. And, and uh, you know, I think it takes a lot of preparation prior, which is what you're doing with the morning. And so I understand the, the work uh, and the seriousness, and I have a deep respect for those things. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to meet that in October mm. or when that was, you know, I, I just didn't know when, when the time was. And, you know, I think I texted Jay this or maybe someone else. It was like, and I also think like, I didn't, I didn't choose to take ayahuasca because like it was a thought that came to my mind or something like that. I really felt like it, it found me and it was Same. one of those things where it was like, it's, Hey, look, it's time. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, I was looking at documentary and it said, you know, I wouldn't recommend people to do ayahuasca, but if it rings, pick up the yeah. phone. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the best way to talk about it, to do it because like you shouldn't, it's not something that like, Oh, I'm confused about, or oh, my my life isn't exactly the way I want it. You know, it's it's got to be something in your soul, you know, deep within you that you're like, I'm willing to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm willing to to explore. I'm willing to to to, to find parts of myself I didn't know about. Um, and then that's when you do it. And, and yeah. if you do feel that way, then you can. But yeah, and I signed up for this second October retreat after I had elevated emotions or I kind of committed verbally when I was already in a really great state of mind and the elevated emotions oh, were yeah? still there. 
And I think I fully committed uh, about two months ago, which is... When, when did you say yes? I was definitely interested when Jay told me about it a couple weeks after our first retreat. And I think it was because I, I had such elevated emotions and I was like, wow, this medicine has helped me so much. Um, and then afterwards, I started to think about, okay, well, I, I did make that decision when I was in a uh, susceptible or, <laughs> or like more vulnerable, vulnerable state. state. My heart was open. Yeah. Don't make decisions but when still your heart's to, open. Still to this day, I've, I've made sure to question that. Um, and I know for sure that out of all the years I've been on this planet and living, uh, there's more that I can understand about myself that this medicine can help with. Yeah. No, it, it wouldn't end. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Jay, Jay's done it. What was interesting to me is that Jay's done it over 20 times. Mm -hmm. And then the people that he, that creates the medicine that conduct and facilitate the ceremonies, they've been able to drink it. I mean, hundreds of times. Hundreds of times, which yeah, is probably more surprising. If they're 40, 50 years old and you know, they've been yeah. doing it for 10 or so years. And it could be more than that. They've had, you know, their children do it. Yeah. Which is like the, these children are more pure, right? They have, they don't have all the baggage that we have. Yeah. So something that Jay said. They me. would think they, you know, we would, like I said, my fear of doing it because of my age was coming from a very, you know, Westernly trained mind right. on the the ego and the 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 biochemical things that are happening right with the serotonin and dopamine and don't overload your brain on that when you're young and mm -hmm. you know the the neuroplasticity works both ways right positive and negatively and whatever um, you know they think of the the plant obviously as being alive but they really think of it as a as a part of consciousness right the mother ayahuasca is a real you know teacher mm -hmm. she's living some sort of way that, that we can't usually access. Um, and so they think of it very much from a consciousness perspective, which is why they, you know, they can do it more often or, or they don't have any fears around doing it that often because they don't necessarily think of it from, Oh, I'm going to burn my serotonin receptors. And I'm not sure what, what sort of, uh, chemical responses are to ayahuasca. I know every, every, uh, I don't want to even call it a drug because that would be a fucked up thing to say about it. It's, 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 um, it's a medicine. It's a medicine. And, uh, but I, I know like with even, you know, mushrooms versus combo, I think like they're hitting different, different parts of the brain. Um, mm -hmm. so they think of it more as a, it's a, it's a real, you know, part of consciousness as a teacher, as a living thing. And it's, it's there to, to, to help you and access deeper parts about yourself and, and getting to know more of who you are, you mm -hmm. know, and, and traditionally in, in South America, you know, it was uh, the, the medicine doctors were the shamans and they would drink the ayahuasca and then they could, you know, scan your body. And they could see actually what was going on with your body with, without it because the ayahuasca would let them see those things. Mm. Um, and that's how they would heal and stuff like that. So even traditionally, um, which is what a lot of people have been saying, is that usually a lot of the tribe wouldn't take ayahuasca. It would just be... a, a you know, a selected group of them and the selected group of them could help heal illnesses, um, you know, with the medicine, through the medicine, because the medicine would help them. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, there was this guy that he, he runs a retreat in in Peru, a retreat center. Uh, he's pretty famous. He's been on Aubrey Marcus's and other podcasts, Maestro, someone. Um, but like he was saying that, you know, someone had came with, with, you know, this hip injury, this and that. And, 
he took the ayahuasca and was, when he was in the medicine, was clearly able to see that the guy had like a hip infection because he was able to see like the, there was like this black substance that was inside his body, this and that. Um, and then the shaman was like, you need to go to a Western doctor and like, they had to, like you, they had to get this, this infection out. Um, and you know, sure enough, the guy had a nasty infection in his wow. step and had to go get it cleaned out and stuff like that. But I see that as an example of, of what those doctors are able to do under, in the medicine. And then also well, that combination too, both. right there, the shaman seeing that, and then you have a Western doctor that can help. Yeah. Right. It, so, right? And, and, and I don't think of these as exclusive at all. Right. There's lot of things that Western medicine can't do to help heal someone, mainly on the thought and ener energetic and emotional level. Um, it really can't do. I mean, that's what therapy and stuff is for. But then there's a lot of, you know, the broken bones, the infections and stuff like that, that like, you know, you're not, I mean, maybe, I don't, I don't know, but you can't take any these plant medicines and, and heal an yeah. infection, right? You should go get some fucking penicillin <laughs> or something, right? <laughs> it's just someone who, who, who doesn't, you know, have any sort of, you know, reg regular doctor protocol, takes no prescriptions or anything like that. But, um, you know, and that's one reason I was saying about the, the, the evolution of humanity is really merging, you know, the Western and Eastern, the technological, but then also the, the inner mastery as well. Mm. You know I mean? That's what we're going to have to do. And, and that's kind of the situation we put ourselves in as well. That's why I'm really excited for, for our lifetimes and, yeah. and, and what the trajectory appears to be. And, you know, I think obviously some people kind of have the apocalyptic mind, you know, people getting their ranches and, and, and <laughs> well, dooms, I, doomsday approaches, which I, is a possibility. I also was somewhat going down that route before all of this too, because I'm into Bitcoin and yeah. certain cultures. Bitcoin's done if, if the apocalypse happens, right? There's no energy and all those things, uh, right? Yeah, I I, mean, you know more about it than me, but like when even though like, you know, the Bitcoin, there'd be no way to do, to maintain the network, right? With, with the energy and stuff they need, if the, the grid's not working. If, I mean, if all... In an extreme apocalyptic, you know, event. That would have to be a, a total shutdown of internet access and electricity. Yeah, that's true because it's global, because the network could be globally, right? Yeah, so, so even, I, even I if a country were to, to go out or something, which yeah. is an extreme, extreme case, but... Well, China, that happened with China. Yeah. China, China shut down a bunch of uh, miners about yeah. two years ago. But yeah, that would have to be an extreme case. Um, but, uh, I have gone down that route before thinking that, you know, before I went into this spiritual focus and awareness, I was prepping. It's like survival preparedness, yeah. which I think is still it's, important. And it's too. scary, you know, cause I think a lot of people may, but might get stuck in that, you know, you see that as well. well. That's the thing. Is, and I, and I, do, I, I think it's a possibility, you know, I think, I think we're really at a, in, in for a hard road these next hundred years. And so we'll see what happens, but obviously, you know, from a spiritual perspective, you know, you want to, to help build, um, you know, you want to help build and create something, something better that, that, that works for, you know, the human race and this planet and stuff like right. that. So, yeah. Whereas we had the fear survival, right? Fight or flight. People are like, oh shit, I yeah, gotta well, have my own place. I gotta make my own plan, yeah. you know? Yeah. So the group that I'm in a group chat so I can see what they're talking about. I still maintain a little bit of contact. I see them, right? But I do have this awareness of if you're always in that state of mind and mentality, it does affect your subconscious. You start to believe that society in this world mm -hmm. is going to just obliterate in some way and things are going to be falling apart and you're very un you start to be untrustworthy in certain ways. Not with everybody, but it does. Yeah. At least that was happening with me. I was starting to 
feel like the, like society's in a dark place right now and I got to prepare. I got to stack up some ammo and some guns and Bitcoin or gold mm-hmm. or whatever. I need to have my own farm or whatever, you know, like just be super self-sovereign. And you get to a point where then you, you become a little selfish yeah. towards yourself because you just, you're trying to stack up as much as you can. Um, at the same time, I, I'm working for a company that I think is going to change the world for everybody. But so I'm doing a little bit of a dance with that. And then now it's like, I don't even pay as much attention to Bitcoin. And obviously I have my nine to five, so I'm always working on that. But outside of my nine to five, it's more spiritual and nutrition and diet and health. And and I think that formulating this podcast, it's also like addressing imbalances within myself, which can be a mirror for others to maybe check in with themselves too. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think it's a, it's the Bitcoin ethos. You can, you know, you can definitely, you can be helpful for humanity, but you can also get down a route where you're very, un, you're, you're very skeptical all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but where were we going with that? Uh, oh, shit. We bounced around quite a bit. Yeah, we had. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even make it to Austin or like, uh, I think you asked me, um, about getting to Austin and then we went, you know, down yeah, the like, ayahuasca yeah, route. Yeah, yeah. And then now, you know, we're talking about the state of government and not having fear, not state <laughs> of government, but state of our society, not having fear around it, which I think is super important. And I think the reality of that we're all in this together, right? So there might be some people who want to go to Montana and then have that that ranch and then be able to, uh, you know, live on that. You know, that, that might be true for very, very few people. The reality is, is one reason I know I don't really have access to anything. Maybe I meet someone who who I who has a doomsday kind of uh, you know ticket for me. Hey, if everything goes south, Brandon, you can come stay with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the reality is that we are all in this together, um, which we're not good at thinking about because we have lived so much in separation and self reliance, and like you know, you have to do everything for yourself. Yeah, um, which is part of what's gotten us in, into this mess, um, and something that we're just gonna have to change and and. And, and grow more towards each other um, and, you know, create a more sustainable, you know, planet. And I think that is a beautiful way to contemplate here. How do you foresee yourself doing that? And I think uh, yeah. you're kind of working towards it, right? Yeah. And I, I feel the same for myself. Like, I don't, I didn't really know where this podcast was going to go. <laughs> and I don't know where it will. Um but I feel I feel good about it. Uh, it feels like this this um, kind of force of nature that's just you don't yeah, know where the podcast it, you you're, you're calling right. Yeah, in a way. And um, Jordan Pearson talks about it. It's like just start somewhere because if you feel it in your bones, like I, I felt a very intuitive sense that I wanted to do this. Yeah, and the stars aligned. Like this this studio. That's just start, just yeah. started and it's like a part of the community. It's probably cost, you have any idea, 10 grand maybe? maybe I more. don't know, but the, the the integration of my decision to formally do it, like I actually exclaimed that I was going to do it at MetaMen, at a men's retreat in San Marcos. I was like, I've been saying to myself, I'm going to do a podcast and I haven't fucking done it, so I'm going to do it. The next day I come to Squatch, I run into Danny Miranda for the first time ever and he's thinking about coming to Austin and he's a big, he's a, decent uh podcaster right now yeah um, and i was like i you know just started to talk to him and i started exclaiming i want to do this and a couple of weeks go by squash studio gets built and then i'm just like 
it, there's a lot of things happening, synchronicities mm -hmm. that are like aligning this in a way to make it successful and it feels natural. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my question to you is, it seems like through the pictures too of what I'm seeing at the somatic yeah. breath work sessions, like you you look like you're in your element. Yeah, man, and, for sure. And uh, absolutely, I wonder where where this will. People that thought I was doing it for for years or or something like that. You know, a couple people asked me, "Oh no, this is my first one." And um, the cam lady was like shocked. Was like, "What do you mean? This is like your first time doing it?" And those are always good indications as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I thought this is a good invitation to read the poem. Sure. Love dog. Yeah. Because when you asked me this, and and I wrote my ebook, you know, signed it by Love Dog, because this poem was so instrumental uh, to really to to this sort of spiritual awakening and transitioning out of it. Really, this poem helped a ton, which is which is a crazy statement, but it's true. And it also is, to me, a poem about purpose and what you talked about as well, um, which is kind of that sort of calling to something and then that's something that's calling to you as well. And there's a relationship there. Um, I'm going to read this poem uh, called Love Dogs by Rumi. One night, a man was crying. La, Allah. His lips grew sweet with the praising until a cynic said, So, I have heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer to that. He quit praying and fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed, and he saw Kadir, the guide of souls, a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? The guide said. The man replied, because I've never heard anything back. The guide then said, this longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of give your life to be one of them. So I heard this poem on a podcast, Tim Ferriss, and I was driving. And uh, Suzanne Kane, author of Bittersweet, was reading it, and she has this beautiful voice, much more beautiful than mine probably. And I was just driving, and it hit me like in my chest, and I was just, I had to pull over. I, <laughs> <laughs> I pulled over, and I was like, what the fuck did I just hear? And I replayed it a few times. I was like on a two-hour drive to visit my uncle. Like what? And it just came up. And what this poem, the invitation and what it was talking about was, I, I think what we don't talk about enough is this longing we have as human beings for something, mm -hmm. right? And that's what I had, my spiritual awakening. Was I had this longing desire for something I didn't know. Um, and I almost was like, you know, what is wrong? This is, you know, I wouldn't say this is bad, but it was like, I want to get rid of this. I don't want to have this longing anymore because it's driving me fucking insane. I don't want it, you know? And then when I read this, it was like, this longing you express is the return message. To me, what that means is, you know, you came to earth for a purpose and to do something, right? Which is what the longing is. And that longing, that reason you feel that way is because you're not doing what you came to earth to do. You had a purpose, you had a mission, you had something you wanted to experience. 
And so that longing is, you know, an information source saying, hey, man, hey, Brandon, you know, you're not, you're not meant to do private aviation. You know, I'm just going to stay here and let, let, let you keep knowing that, <laughs> you know. And then, oh, man, um, you know, maybe it's like you probably should really go to Austin. So I got this longing like, oh, fuck, I'm just going to drive to Austin and see what happens, you know. And then I get to Austin and uh, obviously it takes a year, but, you know, then, you know, I got asked to do the breathwork ceremony. I didn't, I didn't go out and, and seek it out per se. Kind of like what you talked about with the podcast was a lot of things were happening. And almost every time this is, uh, you know, one of my teachers has said, you know, co- coincidence is co-inside of us. Whereas when, when you really start honing in on that purpose or longing, it's not just you. You know, there's events and circumstances and things that start coming together that then put you in a situation where you can finally flourish and blossom, mm. right? And that's what happens. Uh, that's what's happened to me a lot the past two months. Um, you know, meeting you, then get asked to do breath work. And then you like, hey, man, you want to hop on my podcast? And, you know, I didn't ask for any of those things, Right. I'm fucking pumped it's happening, right? And this is like a lot of like, you know, like I said, the universe is kind of like saying, hey, Brandon, maybe now it's a little bit more of your time now. Um, whereas I wrote that ebook in October, September, like I said, it's kind of dropped and I just needed, I just needed to write it. Um, and so I share that poem one because if someone listened to this far, hopefully they they resonate like that, they resonate with that like I did when I first was listening to another podcast mm-hmm. or something. But I think it answers your question on purpose or calling or, or and, and I thought it was, I was hearing, not hearing the poem, but feeling that poem when you were talking about the podcasting mm-hmm. just now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because what it's saying is that which you are seeking is also seeking you, right? You were seeking the podcast, but the podcast was seeking you and lined up a lot of shit with people and places and great, you know, you don't have to buy all this stuff, you know what I mean? It was yeah. a huge stuff that like, and, that, and that's what I love about when you get a little bit more spiritual. It's like, you don't realize it's not all me. And I can't probably right. all do it myself anyways. Like, I don't have to make 10 grand to make a nice studio in my house and, you know, find a way. Like, you know, I you just have to keep going. And, like, because you're going on the path, the path is also trying to help you out. Mm. Um, and that's what that poem is about. It's, you know, that it's that exchange between that which is called, who is calling and that which is being called. Mm. And there is... You know, and there, there's just something there that's inexplicable. People call it the universe. You can call it the divine. You call it God. You know, people use God to talk about those things as well. Um, and so for me, you know, my purpose is, is very much to help people get that as well. You know, it's not to build technology. It's not to, uh, you know, obviously I probably want to, I want to experience and travel and do these things as well. Um, but it's very clear to me that, you know, one was having somatic breath work and just, um, you know, people that had reached out to me, like the guy did for one-on-one, he reached out to me again. Like I didn't reach out and be like, Hey man, I want to do one-on-one coaching. This guy was like, Hey, I really want you to do this. Mm. And so I just said, yes. After telling him to kind of know at first, cause he asked me, I was like, Hey, I just got started. My roommate's been doing this for a year. I have great mentors, coaches. If you want to kind of invest and go that route. And he looked at me and was like, dude, I, I fucking want you to do it. Mm. I was like, okay, like if <laughs> like I'm not going to, like I'm not going to turn down someone, you know what I mean? But it was like that moment. It was like, I was like, no, I mean, you know, I, I got, I got resources for you if you need help, but you know, I, I don't think I'd be best to help you out. And he was just like, no, like I called you for a reason. Like, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, 
and that's supposed to be the listening thing, right? That's when I said yes, because right when he said that, I was like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, maybe I was doing that too much or I don't have enough confidence in myself and stuff like that. And, and that was like the universe saying, hey, man, like you have to start practicing this more yeah. and helping people because yeah. that's why you're here, you know? So I, by helping people, I mean very much on a, probably similar to what Julian and stuff is doing, a very much on, on an energetic, you know, spiritual, uh, you know, almost like therapeutic level, you know? Um, that's where that's where my skills are uh, and that's where I kind of flourish, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Great way to conclude. Um, yeah, I know we only got another minute. Do, do you want to say what, uh, did that poem, I know it's the first time you heard it, so. Yeah, um, the section that you pasted into my email. Um, yeah, because you didn't get the the whole kind of story up yeah, leading up to it. Yeah, yeah that it it was showing maybe the perceived negative aspects of being a human being or sad moments are are what. So specifically, what comes to mind or stuck in my mind was the the crying or the dogs whimpering or is. What was it? Uh, that was at the very end. It was like the dog, the dog whining for his master is the connection, like between the but dog. But there's also the the cup, the, the um, yeah, your pure your your uh, the pure sadness you have is the secret cup. Yeah, yeah, that really made me. And we 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 you know take medications and we try to quiet this longing so much too. And that was another. I had it very intensely, which was moving and driving me. Now that I'm looking back at it, but I think we all have it as, a, as human beings. You know, I think we're all longing for something that you know, is outside of what we can temporarily uh, relieve through, you know, I would just say pleasure because that's what it seems yeah. like, a, you know, a short little instance because you you, ca- you get satisfied for a while and then you're like, oh, you get satisfied for a while then you're like, oh, because like you're not actually connecting with that, what that longing and what I would say your purpose and mission. And so love dogs to me, because I was wa- wondering why he used that word. It's a, dif- a difficult word, but I think it really can interpret it as, you know, purpose, mission, you know, soul. And so that's why I wanted to share when you're talking about yeah. your podcast, because you were pretty much talking about the poem right when you were going in there. And mm. I think everyone, everyone experiences longing in, in some degree and, and we don't know how to handle it, you know, and that's part of the mission. And that's part of the fun, right? It's like, we don't know what it is. And so we have to find out what it is, right? That's the joy of our experience. Mm. You know, if we were told everything, then there would be no experience really. If you told exactly how it's going to go, then it's like, Oh, like it, it, there's no excitement or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So. Beautifully said. And it's a beautiful poem. Appreciate you sharing it. Um, I think that's a great way to conclude. And two I hours, man. Two Let's hours. go. We could go longer. Be good, man. <laughs> we'll get, uh, after the eye retrieval, we'll, we'll pay for, I'll chip in and we'll pay for the extended. Oh, you don't have to do that. Uh, um, it's worth it. I, Post Aya six hours, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Live stream ayahuasca ceremony yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, I always allow or uh, give the opportunity for um, guests to relay where people can find you. So whether it's your social media or website, yeah. or um, so I don't have anything yet. Um, you know, my Instagram is just Brandon Blake five. Um, you know, I don't know when I'll become more, I hate to use the word public facing because that seems like it's like a big deal. But, you know, I, I do plan on on making this more of a, you know, career mission, whatever here in the next few months, you know, maybe six or so months. I'm not going to rush it. Um, like I said, I was trying to do it. La- I was trying to do it last year. Felt like I was pushing too much. 
starting to kind of get pulled towards it. And so mm-hmm. we'll see how it unfolds. Um, but yeah, Brandon Blake five is my Instagram. You know, when I do start posting some of this stuff or, or creating content or, or anything like that, you know, that Instagram will, will be a factor in it somehow. So, but right now I'm still in, uh, in training, I guess would be the right way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you for, thank you for joining the conversation. Um, and to, to repeat what I was saying before, I'm really looking forward to watching your growth. Thank you, man. Seeing where you go. Yeah, Love you, man. Love you too, man. Appreciate you. Peace.